0: I believe he appreciated and at the time he said this in some some interviews that he didn't know kind of what I was doing as a coach because it was not traditional because 70% of our lessons were done on the golf course and not on the range and it wasn't about perfect mechanics and it was about problem solving it was about putting him in different situations so I'm not saying that my way is the best for everyone but for Colin who was and is a very intelligent um, person, I think it, it really led to his curiosity even more because we were now on the golf course doing problem solving. What's this lie going to do? And how firm is this green? And, and I think that kept him engaged. Um, and uh, he saw that I was teaching somebody how to play the game of golf, not just teaching a golf swing.
1: Welcome to episode 33 of the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. We have a big time guest on today, someone who I really admire and have a ton of respect for. His name is Rick Sessinghouse, and he is Colin Morikawa's longtime coach, both from an instructional standpoint and from a mental standpoint as well. And that's actually kind of unique in the game where you have a mental game coach who is extremely knowledgeable about what goes on between the ears and is a top-notch instructor on the physical side of things as well Um, as i mentioned in this interview i met rick as a high school golfer when he came to do a clinic for our team that was a while ago about 15 years ago now but i just remember thinking this guy really knows what he is doing and now he is a coach to a two-time major champion and the number three player in the world as this podcast is being recorded we go everywhere in this chat, I would say it focuses on Rick's relationship with Colin and what we can all learn from some of the mental game fundamentals they work on. And, and and also what role fear should and shouldn't play in golf. Some truly fascinating answers on that last one I have to say. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we get there, I just wanted to remind everyone that here at Graph Golf, where we are producing a smart golf ball and analytics platform, We want to keep everyone apprised of our upcoming launch, so please visit graph.golf for more details. You can sign up to our newsletter there to get updates, and you can also visit the club tab on our site to see all kinds of articles, links to past podcasts, and a lot more. Without further delay, here is Rick Sessinghouse. I was hoping maybe you could start with going into... How you got into coaching and kind of telling that that story? What kind of brought you into uh, into actually coaching in the mental side of the game?
0: Sure, um, yeah. So a, a real back backstory would be I, I started golf when I was 12 years old. Uh, I played a bunch of other sports first, and then I got very involved with golf when I was about 16 years old. I'd stopped playing football, got hurt and just got obsessed with it and um, walked. ended up walking on a Cal State Northridge Division I school here in uh, the Los Angeles area. And so I got good enough to be a D1 player. Um, I was a very average D1 player when I did play um, a- at the college level but um so i was very intrigued with golf and just loved it loved it and then when my professional career of playing did not work out um i just wanted to be around it so i started teaching golf i became a member of the pga and did what you would call your typical golf instruction uh be at the end of a range and and give a lot of golf lessons on how to fix the slice and and every level from you know a a strict beginner to at that time maybe somebody who was a five handicap right i didn't get to see a lot of great players in my first few years of uh, of teaching um and then from that i i I was already interested in the mental side of the game just because of my own interest as a player Mm. and when i didn't succeed to the level i thought i should um i had to look at huh i wonder why was it my swing was it this was it that and it became pretty apparent um, I felt it was my mental side. And a lot of that was, uh, I was a hothead, uh, very frustrated on the golf course and such. And I, at that point, didn't honestly get a lot of answers. I mean, this is, we're almost going 30 years ago. So there wasn't as much um, information out there. There were some, certainly some good books. Um, you didn't have YouTube back then. You didn't <laughs> have podcasts that, you know, now that we have. And so you, you, you tried to figure things out on your own and then when I started teaching golf and not seeing results in my students, like I thought I should, uh, I really then started going down the mental game rabbit hole uh, because why were my students keep coming back and they're shooting the same scores and yet their swings look better and in a, lesson, in a lesson they look great and so on and so forth. So I did end up going to back to school and getting a doctorate in applied sports psychology. Um, I wrote a book, uh, Golf the Ultimate Mind Game about 15, 16 years ago. And I just, at that point, made it a conscious shift in my coaching that it wasn't only gonna be about swing. I still teach swing to this day, mind you, but I wanted the emphasis now to be on the mental side and stuff that we'll get into here in a moment. And so now you fast forward, and I would say the last 15 years, um, I've definitely put that specialty as the first thing that I come to people with, um, not the last thing. And being able to work with so many very good players uh, at many different levels has certainly strengthened me as a coach, because I see what it is to play under pressure and to play in college, play professionally. And there are different, um, there's different stresses that are involved with that than the person on a Sunday morning playing with their buddies for a couple bucks. Now, they're, they're still feeling stress. Um, but I feel now that I have um, been able to work with so many players, I think I have a pretty good understanding of what makes people tick.
1: What were some of the first things you learned in terms of taking a deep dive into the mental game in golf? Because it's such a, a deep mystery, right, to a lot of people in terms of what 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 does work and what doesn't work. I remember you and I met when I, I was back in high school at St. Thomas, Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale many years ago, probably circa 2008. And I, I remember you kind of, talking about the concept of breathing, that even breathing, people don't even really have a full idea of, of how that impacts your golf swing. So what were some of the things that kind of stood out to you when you kind of did some of the, your research early on?
0: Sure. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest challenge I had was how do you make the mental game tangible, measurable, and then trainable. And in golf instruction, back to like helping somebody not slice the ball and hit it straight, there's a lot of cause and effect relationship. The club face was closed. What caused the club face to close makes the ball go left. Okay, I'm gonna do this, this, and this. Golf instruction is pretty cause and effect, but the mental side I didn't feel um spoke that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was part of the framing I wanted as a coach to say, okay, we want to shoot lower scores. What's the interference? And if it's not physical what could that be and could that be that i'm distracted could it be i have doubts could it be that i'm emotionally anxious right and so i had to better educate my students of what the mental game was in the first place okay and then we use tools and techniques like breathing and visualization and cognitive reframing of, of perspectives and and stuff to help people um, look back at what are they thinking right? What are the thoughts patterns that are happening? Are those thoughts triggering emotional responses? And those emotional responses now trigger a feeling in my body, right? Me being confident is going to feel a lot different than me being fearful. Mm -hmm. Um, My body will respond differently with grip pressure and tempo and so on and so forth. So I still go down this rabbit hole of understanding everybody's a little bit different. And where a lot of my research in the last five years has gone is to something called flow states, which is a part of peak performance. It's a part of uh, sports psychology, yet it's very much been researched a lot, and it now has to do with quantifiable things like brainwave activity and heart rate variability, and and certain things like that, which now helps us reverse engineer and say, hmm, what could help somebody minimize stress and get more focused, right? And and so, it, it, again, and I'm still learning every single day, but that's kind of what really jump-started me into wanting to learn more about the mental game was there are skills, but how do we measure them? How do we now train them um, has been my biggest passion.
1: One thing I wanted to ask you about was the concept of fear because golf is a deeply, uh, Personal game when it comes to being fearful of results and detaching process from results. But one thing I've I've heard you mention before is how curiosity has an impact on on fear and how being curious about a, a mental state could be uh, it could kind of you know quell some of that some of that fear that you have as as a golfer. I was wondering if you could kind of speak to that
0: sure um so i'm not going to be somebody who says you should never have fear on a golf course i think fear can wake us up and it can make us pay attention so fear can actually work at the start as something that will help peak performance believe it or not uh if i'm fearful there's water on the right that wakes me up and say okay obviously i don't want to go there but Now, if that thought keeps going, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Oh, my gosh, if I go there, then it's going to mess up my score. And if I mess up my score, then I'm now we're going down where the fearful thoughts have taken over um, and something that we fear we um, we we backtrack from we retreat from we don't want any part of. So that's back to where um, fear can now get in the way of performance and behaviors that we don't want to take it on. So curiosity to me is about figuring things out. It's about asking questions. It's about actually wanting to take that present moment on and to figure out, huh, I got water on the right. I got wind coming from here. What's the best way I'm gonna hit three wood. I'm gonna hit over that pine tree over there, right? I'm curious about what's happening in my environment. I'm not fearful of it. And it's the same thing with curiosity about after a result. So I'm very much into um a lot of assessment after a shot after a round is being instead of being judgmental which is you stink rick and that was awful i can't believe you made double bogey it's like huh i wonder why that ball went over there i wonder why in that moment i i missed that four footer i what is different than oh my gosh i never want to do that again if i have another four footer please don't i mean so it, it does change our um our mindsets pretty quickly if i'm curious about something you're going to tend to take it on you want to be a problem solver uh, i believe is is a is a vital skill for golfers and for people in life by the way
1: Uh, and just as a tangent here i just watched the greg norman 30 for 30 uh, talking about sunday at the 96 masters it kind of sounds like maybe some of that happened to him where the 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 thought of the fear is kind of snowballed and I'm sure that happens a lot with golfers that you, that you see that you work with.
0: <laughs> There's no question. Right. And, and I think what what's great about golf is that we put ourselves in some different, uh, situations, right? We call comfort zones, right? You play at your local golf course and you're used to it and you play with your same people. Yeah. You're playing golf. I get it. And then you are playing your first little member guest tournament at the country club. And then, oh my gosh, next year you're in the lead. And then the, even though golf, the sport itself didn't change. The environment changes so much that people's perception of it will change how they feel and how they think. So that's what intrigues me is I can tell somebody do this breathing pattern, do this visualization, yet I wanna know what's getting triggered in them in these different environments. And is it one of fear? Is it one of curiosity? Is it one of 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 anticipation and excitement, right? Everybody is different in how they perceive their environments.
1: Mm-hmm. So, of course I want to ask you about Colin because he does this so well being curious and being aware of his environment and kind of balancing this uh, mental freedom with uh, having an incredible golf swing and incredible physical talents as well. Uh, the story of you guys first meeting always cracks me up. Uh, you know, your first in- first couple of encounters with him how he asked questions about the the golf swing and about, you know, uh, the mental game as well. Also being kind of uh, go, go back into that, some of those first interactions with him and what kind of made him stand out.
0: Sure. Yes. Yeah, so um, this is now over 17 years ago, and I believe it's in like an early spring. And uh, I was at my end part of the driving range at a little public golf course in Glendale, California. And I noticed this, uh, this gentleman with uh, what I was assuming was his son walking towards me. And uh, this gentleman by the name of Blaine Morikawa asks me, hey, Rick, I understand you work with a lot of juniors. Um, my son, we're looking for a private instructor. He's taken group class lessons for the last couple of years. Would you mind maybe working with him? and so i said well let me see him hit a few balls and and again he's eight years old at the time and he hits a few and i go you bet i'll work with him um and i say that for a few reasons one yes he had some talent yes he had good hand-eye coordination Um, but i could see very quickly he was an engaged eight-year-old he he paid attention um and he wasn't just, you know, looking at squirrels running around, and 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 he was very respectful. And, and I'm going, okay, this is great, because I'm I'm after people who are passionate about the game and who respect the game and who want to be there, right? And I could see that at an early age. That one his parents uh, were not forcing him to do anything. Um, they were very supportive. They were very healthy in in the sense of um, the motivations of bringing him to lessons, and then as these years went by and I would see him once a week for those first 10 years before he went to college, you know, I'm seeing somebody who was curious, who did ask questions. And whenever I knew he asked a question, I knew it was important to him. It wasn't just filler kind of conversation. And and then I believe he appreciated. And at the time he said this in some some interviews that he didn't know kind of what I was doing as a coach, because it was not traditional because 70 percent of our lessons were done on the golf course and not on the range and it wasn't about perfect mechanics and it was about problem solving it was about putting him in different situations so i'm not saying that my way is the best for everyone but for colin who was and is a very intelligent um person i think it it really led to his curiosity even more because we were now on the golf course doing problem solving what's this lie going to do and how firm is this green and and i think that kept him engaged um and uh he saw that i was teaching somebody how to play the game of golf not just teaching a golf swing Mm -hmm. and so he was very very open to that so i think throughout the years i i would certainly as I did with all students, by the way, challenge them. Hey, how is this going to happen? I never gave them the answers until what I would say the third ball. I wanted the person to problem solve and make, if they were going to make mistakes, make them on their own, learn from their own mistakes. And then of course, me as a coach could come in to help I- improve the learning curve a little bit more. But um, And and just from his environment of where he got to practice and play, I think it it led to creativity. It led to the curiosity. And I think that's only obviously served him quite well as he's now on the PGA Tour.
1: And I've also heard that uh, competition, you guys tended to end lessons with some kind of competition, whether it was a chipping contest or whatever it might be. I'm sure that's something that you do with a a lot of students, but it kind of puts somebody in that mindset. I think people may uh, associate competition with structure and lack of creativity, but a lot of times it breeds uh, creativity.
0: Exactly. Um, and I, I came from other sports before I came into golf. So I every practice in a football or basketball was was competitive. You wanted to, even if they were on the same team, you wanted to beat that guy, you wanted to defend them, you wanted to do it. And I, I think golf being an individual sport, there are some people who are wired competitively. Don't get me wrong, but for whatever reason, I've seen a lack of competitiveness in the last 20 years mm-hmm. um with junior golfers yes they tell me they want to win okay that's a whole other thing but you want to get better today you have to compete against yourself and i think it's also taking on challenges so yes every single golf lesson with colin with all my juniors the last five minutes was competitive and it was hey okay closest to the hole right now i love trash talking so trash talking was my consequence for them they knew they were going to hear it over and over and over again okay now I enjoy trash talking back so they knew they were available to trash talk back if they won. And you know, Colin was interesting. He he took on all of those challenges in the competition with that quiet competitiveness like, "Okay, let's go. Bring it on." And I'd have other juniors who might have even been older than him who would always want to make excuses before the even competition began. Rick, that's not fair. You're a professional and I'm a 15 year old, and that's not fair. And then I knew immediately they didn't have a mindset to take on challenge and take on competition because mm. it's not going to be easy. Okay. But those that say, hey, bring it on, Rick. Okay. Let's go. Whether they won or not was actually irrelevant. Okay. It was the attitude going into the competition that I was trying to foster. And then for them afterwards to go, oh, I may have crashed and burned and not done well, but guess what? Next lesson, I'm going to get you, Rick. I mean, so I wanted them to use that as fuel or if they did beat me, hey, they're proud of themselves for staying focused in a competitive environment. So I believe competition is a under trained skill in golf. Uh, people say they want to win all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about now. I'm saying day in and day out, are you going to do the things that are uncomfortable to make yourself better? Not everybody's up to that.
1: And, and along those same lines, uh, one story I, I've I've heard is uh, I guess Colin played in a junior tournament, maybe at PGA national prior to going to Cal and he didn't play very well because it was, it was right. windy. It's t- tough golf course. And instead of kind of saying, Oh, there was wind i i'm going to blame it on that it's uh, you know uh, that, that's that, that's that was the problem he comes back to you and says i need to learn how to play golf better in the wind because i have not been able to have i've not been able to master this this skill at this point and i think that really kind of shows the difference between blaming your environment and and kind of adapting to your environment i'm sure i'm sure that's kind of a, a skill that colin has had for a long time at this point
0: exactly and and nowadays you know we could call it growth mindset, the the ability to know that you can get better at something at a skill and be open to learning. And even if the first thing doesn't work, you know that you could still figure it out. That's part of growth mindset. The other part of this that I think is crucial is accountability, is taking ownership. That's what I did. I shot blank number and I made a bunch of double bogeys and you know what, uh, my game was exposed. Uh, we, I would t- talk blind uh, blind spots with my players. What's the blind spot? Sometimes we don't know it until it's exposed. Well, his was exposed when he was 16 years old at PGA National when the, the winds were 20 to 30 miles an hour. And, and he came back without saying, oh yeah, I shot that because of this wind, okay. It was, we need to do an, a better job of playing in that. And so now it was, I need to learn a skill. And then as we fast forward to him on the PGA Tour, he hopes it's windy out on the tour because he knows he has an advantage. So what was a weakness is now a strength. And that's what I think separates the elite, uh, is that they are okay with being vulnerable and say, that wasn't very good. But guess what? I'm going to get it better. And he did that in early age. No, No excuses, complete ownership and accountability.
1: The negotiation that golfers have with themselves, and this is mostly for like a player like me, or uh, you know, a player who's you know shooting in the high seventies or low eighties or whatever. You, you you play a round of golf, uh, you go, "Oh, I missed you know a couple of three footers. I hit that one ball OB. So you kind of, you kind of take those out. Then I'd be down to seventy six, and that's just the way. That's just a nature that, that golfers tend to find themselves in, right?
0: It's so true, and and I think that's what that's what then um, stunts their growth. Because they're not being honest with themselves. And they said, yeah, 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 I missed that short putt. And yeah, 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 it's like, no, hear what you just said. I missed the putt. Take ownership that you missed the three-footer. Why did it? Why you miss it? Was it a misread? Was it a, a not getting unstarted online? Were you nervous over it? Right? They don't want to dig deep of what caused it. They just want to put it, like you said, kind of create their own little story and rationalization. They're never going to get better. Those that can look in the mirror and say, that wasn't very good. I did it that's enough let's work on this that's when you see that the elevation of uh, of of elite golfers
1: yeah no, absolutely and of course uh it, it's apparent that colin has done that extremely well throughout his young career having already won a couple of major championships what have you what have you seen early on in terms of uh the freedom that he's been able to play with even being in some very difficult situations where he has leads late in golf tournaments and has some you know, great players like Jordan Spieth chasing him with the Open Championship, but it, it being able to kind of uh, lock, you know, block that out and kind of compartmentalize and, and kind of just trust in what he has been able to do. That's a good point you just
0: mentioned is compartmentalize, which is a, a word I use a lot. Is that you only focus on what's in your control in this moment? Um, and I think he's he's done that at a, a high level for a long, long time. I think the other thing is a belief system overarching that I believe I can contend. I believe I can win. I believe I can fill in the blank um, that not all really good players out of college honestly believe. Um, And I know he's, he's mentioned a few things that very, very early on, uh, you know, he was, he, his first professional event was at the RBC Canadian where he was uh, tied for 14. That's a great start. Yet he said after that, he then, he, he, Heard an um, uh, an interview of Kepka, and then he was, hey, he had dinner with Justin Thomas, and and like within a a, a week or ten days, he kind of like going, wait, yeah, I believe I'm I deserve to be out here, but I believe I can win, right? <laughs> and so now there was another shift that um, from a mindset perspective of belief system that what was evident, um, and I think back to when when he was younger one of my coaching philosophies is every time you put a club in your hand is an opportunity to play great golf. And what I mean by that is so often I would have a junior golfer say, well, Rick, this one day event here in Los Angeles is really not that important. It's just kind of, you know, just a few. And then, but next week, oh my God, the AJGA event is the most important thing in the world. And what happens is they have this big disconnect of the importance of it. And instead of me saying, you know what? AJJ is really not that important. and That's bull crap. People know in their head it's important. But I would flip it. I'd say that LA tournament, that one day, that can train you to um, uh, close the deal. You can learn how to win. You can, hey, let's dominate that. right? So we use every single opportunity as a way to grow as a competitor, as a player. And I think he took that on early, even high school matches that outside looking in and go, why is he even playing in that? The, the team they're playing against can't even break 50 for nine holes, right? But we would have goals. Hey, great. You're going to show up and do these, 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 And so every time he tees it up is for him a way to have a goal and to uh, and to push himself. So then it doesn't matter if I'm in the final round of the Open Championship paired with Louis Oestes, and It's just another round of golf that I want to play great at. So that's a perspective thing that I don't believe a lot of people have.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you said that because I actually, um, I live close to the Players' Championship, but I watched him play the Players' Championship, and he hit some really squirrely shots and didn't play well at all. The conditions were very difficult, but just did not have a very good tournament. Didn't really play well in, in Tampa. Um, but the ability coming into the tournament, I was, I was at Augusta, hearing him in his press conference prior to the tournament, it didn't seem like any of that was weighing on him or a burden on him the thoughts of i'm not playing particularly well up to my standards right now and of course he he goes out and plays re- really well at augusta it just seems like he has that ability to almost like reset and it's not looking at the majors being way up here and all the other tournaments being down here it's an ability to kind of uh see everything the same almost like you're saying
0: Right and and you said the other keyword I think is reset is so many people may get bogged down I missed the cut at the players championship and you lose the context of that um in I was with him earlier in that week and he was playing really really well mm-hmm. okay and his tee time on Thursday gets pushed back to 6 p.m. and he he plays two holes okay he's one under for two holes and then comes out the next morning and Birdie's the first hole. I mean, he's two under after three holes. Okay. Um, and he would never say it, and I would not say it anyways. Yeah, the conditions were challenging for everybody. Don't get me wrong. And he would admit he didn't play well enough in some of those severe conditions. Okay. Yet you come out and say, Oh my God, I, you, you, some people, oh, I'm not playing well. It's like, wait a second, put it in perspective. For the first three holes, you're two under par. Yes, you only played 36 holes, and you had two or three really bad holes okay and you just try to put and it's not ignoring it it's like saying and yet we wanted to make clear that as he went to tampa and and then the um uh, the the match play and then the masters is that you you're looking at each week as slightly different uh because different skills are going to be needed so on and so forth but you go back to well what caused blank to happen and what caused you know and then you can forget about it. and then forget about it's the wrong word but you can move on i guess is a better way to say hey this is what happened to players okay let's make an adjustment for tampa oh tampa i did these things well but not this okay match play oh man i made a lot of birdies there awesome and we'll go to augusta oh wow i'm gonna do you know it's a constant assessment loop uh that we're doing instead of oh my gosh my game is gone I and 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 you have this catastrophized thinking uh just because of two rounds of golf and and unfortunately a lot of players do have that and their belief systems go right in the toilet
1: there's a great padraig harrington quote about just the uh, the innocence of of youth and how there's a there's a period earlier on in your career where maybe you're a little bit naive and then you kind of get to into the experienced portion of your career and there are some other expectations. You're more of a CEO of a company at that point, a lot kind of what Rory McIlroy is probably feeling at this point in his career. Do you get the sense that uh, Colin is kind of at the beginning of his career, and he's um, innocent in a way, and that's why he's been able to have that success? Or do you think that he has the mental capabilities to kind of uh, have that to carry that throughout his uh, throughout his career?
0: I believe he has the mental skills to carry it. I and I wouldn't for him particular say he wasn't he was naive. Um he's very intelligent. He goes 4 years at at Berkeley as a three-time uh first-time all-American, a first-team all-American, uh graduates with a business degree. Um he's he's pretty sharp. And so I think going into, you know, getting a management company and him working with them, um he he, he you know, He's put things in the in, in the proper perspective, and I feel he does a great job week in and week out um, managing his time, managing his energy. Uh, now, what's to come in the future? I don't know, but he's handled himself so well being a number two player in the world and winning two majors and being on Ryder Cup team. I mean, there's a lot going on with that and having you know uh, sponsors like TaylorMade and Adidas that he has to do stuff for. So um, I think he is... Yeah, I, I think he already had the skills going in, and I think you just see it as strengthen. and he has a good team around him.
1: Um, this is kind of a, a bit of a tangent, but I, I want to get your per- perspective. Colin, he's not much of a, a history of the game. There was a, there was a moment uh, prior to the Masters where, where he got a couple of questions on that, and he had never heard of the Marco Mira putt, for instance, on the 18th hole. I guess he, he had no idea where that where that was. Do you think that helps a guy like that, where he's just kind of very much in the moment and he's not thinking about things that have happened in the past, the Masters and major championships and stuff like that?
0: I, I do. Um, I think that's just the perspective of he cares about his game and he loves the game for him and he wants yeah. to go play. Um, yeah, history is not much of it i was more of a history buff so you know uh when we would talk about august and say hey you know this happened that's like okay whatever um and i think that's refreshing in a way uh because there's no baggage of what somebody did or did not do uh back to like the greg norman stuff i mean you know who wants to relive that in your head uh but uh yeah i, I think it is refreshing and he just does it for himself you know
1: yeah um, just a couple more questions on the on the mental game uh, at at large. The, the concept of, of yips and and golfers and just having that mental breakdown where you're not able to really pull the trigger back. Is that kind of going back to what you're talking about with the the like the toxic fear kind of be building up to a certain point, or what would you kind of attribute the yips to?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, there's been certainly studies on it. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm an expert at it, but I think you have two distinctive answers to this. One is that there, it, it becomes so bad that there's a neurological uh, disconnect. Uh, the, the person physically literally can't take the club back anymore. Okay, That is beyond my scope. I'm just letting you know that. 90% of YIPS is definitely psychological in nature that starts off as paying attention to something that's irrelevant in that moment. Now we can go down the next road. Is what's irrelevant? Oh, I don't want to miss this. Oh, I don't want to embarrass myself. Oh my gosh, people are going to look at me if I miss this two footer. They're going to make fun of me. And now their their brain is hijacked. Okay, it's no longer thinking. Oh, oh, it's inside, right edge, firm. Let's make a smooth stroke. All the other stuff that goes with the result and who's there and what could this mean? Um, literally, brainwaves go through the roof. Uh, heart rate goes up, and there's now a response that is a a really bad stress response <laughs> fight or flight and it's difficult to take the club back because the signals are not firing giving um a very clear direction for you to take the club back mm-hmm. okay those things can be addressed um you've seen throughout history a Bernhard Long or something like that that had the yips um yes they may have changed to a different putting grip or something like that but they won at the highest level after they had this definition of a yips. Okay. Most of it is redirecting your focus. So what am I paying attention to now? Most people are paying attention to what could go wrong, which now creates a stress response, which now creates, I don't want to embarrass myself, which now gets a grip pressure, goes through the roof and gets tight. And then, and now you have a avalanche of um, stuff going on, right? So we're trying to redirect uh, attention. What do you want? Well, I want to make it. Okay, great. Where's the ball going to enter? Uh, right edge. Okay. How, what's the speed it's going to go in, right? And then I start asking questions that are more in person's control. Um, and then it might be a physical cue like, hey, what's the grip pressure you want to have during this motion? And they're going to look at me, what do you mean? Well, one to 10, uh, four. I go, great. Keep it at four the whole time. I have to redirect their focus so their mind can start narrow down and have less and less um, thinking going on. Most of YIPS is thinking about what you don't want and there becomes like, like I said, it becomes hijacked. Um, some people, we have, you know, 12 different swing thoughts happening. That's also hijacking it. So, um, YIPS has a lot to do with our attention and where it's going.
1: And would you attribute that to being able to focus on the process and kind of detaching that from the results? Is that how you would describe that? Just being kind of engrossed in, in the, the process portion of it?
0: Um, sure. Yeah. I, I, I think the outcome triggers the uh the response. So I don't want to miss this. I don't want to hit that ball in the water. I don't want, you know, and that that image does create that. Um yes, of course we, we want to help um our golfers with a better process whether that's breathing, visualization, practice motions, just thinking through a shot, asking better questions. Yes, that's part of the process. Um, I I am a type of coach that doesn't want to discount outcome though. I wanna be honest with somebody, I guess this matters to you. Oh man, this matters so much. Good, let's talk about it, right? Instead of saying, oh, it doesn't matter, it's just a putt. I think that demeans the player a little bit too much, to be honest with you. Um, These players get to the yips because it means too much and means so much it's like great it means a lot hey and because it means so much to you why don't we do these things in the next 20 seconds that's going to give you the best opportunity to succeed oh okay so i i never want to just say oh it doesn't matter and stuff like that i the brain says no it matters it matters a lot Uh, (laughs) uh but the process certainly is a way to um re uh focus people onto the present moment
1: and I, I guess the the freedom between being on the range and just hitting a seven iron into into the ether. do you is there a way to train yourself for that on on the course without going on the course where you're actually kind of taking those fundamentals? on the practice range, being able to, I don't know, maybe trying to hit a very specific shot and kind of get getting more detailed. Is that, is that a way that you would coach someone to do that?
0: Yeah, I, I would say there would be two things. One is you just mentioned detailed, um, is, is clarifying the intention of the shot before you hit it. Um, and it could be just as simple as, Hey, what does a good shot look like here? Oh, I'm hitting a three quarter seven iron. I'm starting to 15 feet left of the hole. It's going to fade back. It's going to land at 162 yards, but that's a clear intention. But back to what we were talking about, competition before. I don't believe enough people compete with themselves on a range setting. Mm -hmm. Um, So with good players, um, let's say a hundred yards. Even I don't care if it's on a mat or anything like that. Let's say we don't have options of of changing that. And I give somebody a hundred yard target on the range, um, and I give them ten balls, and I say, okay, we're going to chart all ten of those balls, and I Then I do it for a few reasons. One, I can create a performance goal for them. So if you have a tour player, we uh, I believe the tour average is 14 feet, 10 inches from 100 okay, yards. So now if I have a, a really good player, let's say a college player, I said, okay, we're going to have 10, we're going to average them all out and I want you to get 16 feet or less. Um, each shot matters. Okay. It's not just one out of the 10. It's worth tracking all 10 of them. They have a clear goal of what they want because they told me they want to be a PGA Tour player. Okay, great, this is a metric to help us with that. Mm-hmm. So I want to, and I'm not saying to make people uncomfortable. I know that's another way to go about this is make, but is use the the practice for more quantifiable, um, measurable type of thing I think is important and giving people clear goals of what they want to accomplish, I think helps tr- transfer the skills over on the golf course.
1: Right, right, I, I guess that comes with, freedom in general, like we see Rory play so well on the, like, uh, in, in the masters in the, on the final round when he was kind of out of it, then you get, and you get to the last few holes, he has a chance. And then it kind of, that kind of slows down because they the results in the moment kind of are, are such a burden for someone in, in that moment. But I think all golfers kind of feel that whether it's the first tee or whether it's it, whether it's it, or whether it's a player in a major championship like that, it, it, would you, would there be other fundamentals that you would try to pass along to kind of the, average player to try to get them kind of in that freedom mindset?
0: Well, you used the word burden. And and so that's where I would want to know from somebody, how are they defining the situation in, in of itself? Mm-hmm. Um, Rory may feel there's a burden to win the uh, the Masters, which would get him the Grand Slam and so on and so forth. Um, yet, uh, I would, um, and, and I don't know Rory, but you know, any player, you would want them to be excited. You would want them to look forward to uh, being the final round of a major, of the the opportunity to get to tee it up at Augusta or back to what I said originally is, okay, this is one of 25 tournaments I'm playing this year and I plan to be playing my best, Hmm. period. But when we put burden and stress and oh my gosh, so important, we do start creating a different state, mental, emotional, physical state. So I would want to know all those golfers of what are the situations that do uh, affect their state in an unresourceful way. It might be just how they look at it in the first place. Um, And I would want somebody to, be excited to look forward to it, to be grateful for the opportunity. Those would be, those would be a different mindsets than, mm-hmm. Oh, I hope I don't screw up. And Oh my gosh, this is so important. Right. Right there. You would, you would physically feel different. So I would push that more than some of the other skills that you could do on the range when somebody knows it's not a tournament and then they go to the first tee and they've already defined it as, Oh my God, this is the most important thing in the world. And the, you know, I would be pushing people's perspective and meanings a little
1: bit more. Right. Just a couple more questions for you. Um, other than Colin, do you marvel at anyone's mental game on the on the uh, out on the highest level? Uh, For me personally, uh, Louis Houston's mental game seems pretty, pretty incredible. And also, I I guess Kepka would would be up there amongst um, amongst that group. But is there anybody that you or any element of a mental game that you really admire?
0: yeah um i was fortunate enough to be inside the ropes at the ryder cup um and be there for the practice rounds and colin pretty much already knew he was going to be playing with dustin johnson and to be in um and getting to 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 know dustin and his caddy and his and his uh coach claude Harmon. um i you said about marveled i had tremendous respect after spending that week and seeing how dj goes through his uh, goes about his business um to see somebody that chill and that calm and that competitive and literally nothing bothered him um even in the heat of the moments when you know paul casey's making a fairway bunker shot from 140 yards or whatever it was it's just nothing bothered him and so i i really appreciated that um and because i thought colin was a calm chill dude dj's pretty impressive so that that would be my answer there to see that up front of of how present he stays and how calm he stays
1: that's awesome i guess last one um analytics are so big now and i know you and colin will work on what a fe- what it feels like what a swing feels like what the a- actual yardage is him guessing the yardage and a lot a lot of players will will do that how do you think um analytics uh, have kind of altered mental game in terms of pre- in preparation for for tournaments it's
0: a great question um so i look at analytics uh, in many different ways so um the first one would be we have Trackmans, we have all these things that m- literally measure every single shot um we know cause and effect better than we ever have as swing coaches um so there's no mystery okay so that's a good thing there's no mystery why the ball went it well the club did this the angle was this so on and so forth okay great when we look at analytics from a standpoint of um Understanding where your game's at, you know, and Colin has every single shot uh, tracked literally, and we get instantaneous feedback of stats. There's no running away and saying, "Yeah, my my, you know, this is really is is pretty good." And you're like, "Last ten rounds, it doesn't look that way, right?" So I think it helps um, some players uh, that can look in the mirror and say, "Hey, this is not trending in the right direction. Let let's let's do this." And then I think the other part is getting to know uh, course knowledge, getting to know um, strategies and stuff like that. Strokes gain information, I think, is important. I don't think it's the end all, everybody, um, but it's information. And so what do you do with that? I think each player and coach has to decipher what it means to them. But I think it's the uh, the measurable, the, the um, taking responsibility, saying, hey, this is where my game's at. I've had now six months of content, that's where it's at, and be okay with that. And then I would say understanding your dispersions, understanding your game to then fit a strategy for a golf course, um, I think is, is important too.
1: Yeah, the strokes gain rabbit hole could, could go pretty deep. If you're looking at it every every week, every month, and you're kind of charting that. I mean, I've heard a lot of players say, "I'll oh, I'll look at it every three months or six months or nine months or whatever, whatever it is, right? It's like, like you can go pretty deep down that rabbit hole. Correct. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rick, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. This, this is a pleasure. pleasure and um, best of luck for the for the rest of the year.
0: Thanks so much, Sean.
1: Thanks again to Rick for coming onto the podcast. Before we leave, I did want to mention that Rick wrote a book back in 2007 called Golf, The Ultimate Mind Game. And I know this is 15 years ago at this point, but I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a pretty easy read. It's uh, $14 on Amazon, so not, not a long book at all. Easy read. Go ahead and give that a try. And also, another cool thing, if you go to YouTube and type in Colin Kawa, Rick Sessinghouse, There are a handful of really cool videos that come up. Rick is a PGA professional and did a shoot with Colin last year where the PGA of America had them go through the routine, discuss how they go about hitting higher versus lower shots. There's some mental game stuff in there. Really some cool, cool stuff in that archive. So I just wanted to shout that out as well. All right, that's uh, all the time that we have for today. Please, please subscribe, rate, review. Tell your friends. Anything you can do to, uh, to help is greatly appreciated. And we will see you all again next time. Cheers.